You are listening to the Bootleg Avocado Podcast, bringing you all things food, beverage, cannabis, and psychedelics. In this episode, we discuss the breakthroughs in all things Canatech, which include artificial intelligence, e-commerce, cultivation, and vertical farming. And we jump into how the next generation of cannabis entrepreneurs are taking advantage of this technology push. Special thanks to our panelists, Matthew Kate, partner at Fox Rothschild LLP, Josh Malman, VP of Cultivation at Jushi Holdings, David Kessler, Chief Science Officer at AgriFi, and Socrates Rosenfeld, co-founder and CEO of Jane Technologies. Thanks so much for listening. Please follow us at bootlegavocado.com to find out when and where our next events are going to be held. And please subscribe to our newsletter at bootlegavocado.com to know all the happenings in all things food, beverage, cannabis, and psychedelics. This is Bootleg Avocado Presents, Opportunities and Innovation in Canatech. This is your virtual culinary and cannabis event series, bringing you yet another great conversation in all things food, beverage, cannabis, and psychedelics. Uh, we are very grateful to have um, partnered with Matteo Communications and Fox Rothschild and helping us put together this amazing panel on all things in the innovation and tech space in cannabis. My name is Mara Rodriguez. I am your host and uh, owner of Bootleg Avocado. With us, our work is grounded on leading collaboration, support, and global innovation in food, beverage, cannabis, and psychedelics. We believe in a culinary-first approach to creating socially responsible and sustainable food concepts. Uh, we've been hard at work all year, um, and we have a few more events coming up in the month of June uh, that we have uh, closely curated with a few of our partners down the road. Um, on June 8th, we're going to be jumping into all things confections in the world of cannabis and psychedelics. And then we're going to close out the spring session to take a little bit of a break in the summertime to talk about the resurgence of cannabis, hospitality, and tourism. That's on June 29th. So please feel free to go to bootlegavocado.com and sign up for those events. Uh, we might be doing a little midsummer event, um, but we're kind of cur uh, right now currently curating that and we'll let you know where that kind of goes. All right, so a few housekeeping items before we kick things off. Um, please feel free to drop in any of your questions or comments in the Q&A section so we can help monitor everything coming through. We have Jenna, uh, our events coordinator, dropping in a few little tidbits on our panelists and everything else. And that's it. All right, welcome everyone. This is the main event, Opportunities and Innovation in Canatech. We wanted to switch gears a little bit this time and talk more about the, the, the technology platforms that are being um, launched in the cannabis space to help with uh, customer experience, to help with cultivation, help with just consistency of just the cannabis crop uh, and opportunities there. So that's why we wanna kind of switch gears and talk more about how those that innovation, those platforms are really helping to move the cannabis industry forward. Um, we wanna first start, um, again, this, this panel has been really nicely put together by Manning Communications and uh, Fox Rothschild. And we wanna talk a little bit more about the, um, on the legal side of things. So let me, let me bring in, hold on, just kind of make sure we got everyone here. 
let me bring in Matthew Kate. He is the uh, partner at Fox Rothschild. Hey, Matthew, how are you doing today? Great. How are you guys doing? Amazing. Um, so again, we we kind of know each other from the um, from the New York sort of uh, environment and the setting back there. And there's a lot of things really happening back there. Um, and we're excited to kind of jump in now that you know things are opening up and everything. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about you know kind of your involvement in the cannabis industry and what Fox Rothschild kind of brings to the table for these innovators or these founders. Sure. So. Um totally echo that sentiment. Super excited about things coming back to live, exciting events in New York. I really miss the old bootleg avocado. I love the new, the, you know, the current iteration <laughs> of bootleg avocado, yeah. but uh, the virtual, but one of the things I always loved about bootleg avocado is it took something, something that's so exciting about New York and, you know, the culinary aspects and the hospitality aspects mm -hmm. and something super tangible and really created a tangible event out of it. Mm -hmm. Kind of almost had like a swap meet feel, right? Even though nothing was infused, everyone was always bringing their products, their uninfused yeah. products. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that experience again, as soon as we can have it. So thanks again for hosting and, and really excited to be on board with Bootleg for this event. Um, I'm a partner at Fox Rothschild. I'm the co-chair of our national M&A practice. I am, and my team is extremely busy even before the new bill was passed in New York. That's got us even more busy. Um, historically, Fox was one of the first of the large law firms globally to have a cannabis practice. We've had a cannabis practice for seven years now, if you can believe it. And maybe that doesn't sound like a long time, but think about how much cannabis regulation has changed in the last seven years and what the market opportunity was six or seven years ago. So, um, so we've been um, very focused on the opportunity for a very long time. We have offices in a lot of the jurisdictions that matter, not the least of which is now New York, I'm very excited to say. so. Um, Historically, we've worked with a lot of startups, startups that have gone the distance and become major MSOs now. We've um, grown with them. We have over 50 attorneys in our 30 offices who are um, probably 50% or more of their practice, whether it's IP or corporate or regulatory or labor and employment or real estate are focused on the cannabis oppor business opportunities. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, I am the I, I'm the anchor point for the, our New York effort, and we are getting really busy with applications and people asking a lot of questions. So we're super excited about that, Mario. Amazing. So what are what are the things that um, you know founders and, and people kind of that that come either you know start from the tech space, jumping into cannabis? What are things that the initial considerations that these entrepreneurs should look into or be mindful? You know, anything from like patents, licensing, any sort of way to kind of protect your your IP there. Sure. So one of the things that distinguishes cannabis companies from other venture backed companies. So my background is in private equity and venture capital. And for the 17 years that I've been practicing law, a majority of the focus was on technology companies, but more like software companies and Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley based companies. Right. Um, one of the advantages that 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 I had as a practitioner. I had two advantages actually when the cannabis market took off. The first was that my brother was a licensed caregiver in Northern California. And so I had a little bit of um, visibility on, on the market from the entrepreneur's perspective and the kinds of problems and things that were incumbent in starting, starting a company in the space mm -hmm. 10 years ago. 
But on the other hand, I'd worked with a lot of really sophisticated, well-structured venture-backed technology companies, right? Um, cannabis has a lot of interesting distinctions, but also a lot of interesting parallels to, to a, you know, a software company or a hardware technology company. Um, the key distinctions are that it's something, it's not just code on paper or an idea on paper when it starts, it's immediately something tangible, right? You have a product, you have cash flow, you have licenses, you have all of these tangible assets, right? Which aren't necessarily the case, but core to the value of a cannabis company, just like the value of a tech company is meaningful intellectual property, Mario. And um, many of the, of the cannabis companies that we work with, whether they're startups or established MSOs, just like companies in other, in, other, in other verticals, totally unrelated to the cannabis space, perceive a lot of their value to be in their intellectual property. And that can come from a few places. It can come from, um, it can come from um, devices that they manufacture for consumption of their product. It can come from brand names that they develop around their company. It can come from brand names that they develop around the products that their companies sell. It can come from strains that they help develop and try to seek copyright or patents on. It can come from ancillary products that they try to develop. So like, you know, um, retail products like, like swag, right? Like t-shirts and, and, you know, skateboards and things like that. Um, and then ultimately it can come from just um, another, another revenue stream that companies try to create, which is kind of the know-how around how to, to grow and set up cultivation sites and then license or manage those services out to other, to other companies you know, in different parts of the space. And so um, even though it might not seem like it, like at the one end, it can kind of be um, looked at as a commodity that doesn't have a lot of intellectual property. I think if you take a sophisticated approach to what a what a big cannabis company is and there's a few of them on the panel so i'm looking forward to hearing from them um there's a lot of meaningful ip that they can capture and try to develop and what about a little bit of kind of the, the mistakes that a lot of these these founders entrepreneurs kind of do first that you know having a little bit more of a of a legal knowledge or mindset would help them to kind of avoid those things in the future i think there's always the temptation to um cut corners where you can is one way to put it or to create efficiencies, right? It's kind of saying the same thing, create efficiencies and not get bogged down in the legal. Um, and I have a lot of respect for that, right? I think good entrepreneurs learn to do a lot with a little. And sometimes it's understanding the issues and whether or not, you know, if, if, if you ask a lawyer for like a due diligence checklist on what you need to examine in order to acquire a business, for example, I could give you you know, a 40 page due diligence checklist that would outline every problem that could possibly exist and be discovered in the context of due diligence. But a good entrepreneur can probably look at a target company and say, these are the three issues that I'm really concerned about, right? Like, do they, you know, do they own their licenses? Do they have any challenges? You know, does their IP infringe on anybody else's? And is there, you know, is that fight that's going on between the founders going to be a material issue that's going to frustrate the ability to make the acquisition, right? I, I would be a different top three for any company, but you can look at them um, and, and tell. And so, um, you know, without getting bogged down in it, I think that the key things that a cannabis company needs to focus on when they're thinking about how to start start off on the right foot in terms of developing their property is um, understanding what IP is on the table from initiation. And just like any other company, whether it's a cannabis company or not, that it's been well assigned to the company and the company controls it and has ownership of it. Mm 
that it doesn't infringe on the rights of others, meaning it wasn't borrowed from somebody else. If it's the brand you're trying to create, that it's not, um, you know, a, a parody or or usurping. Parody is permitted, but you know, you're walking a fine line. And a lot of cannabis companies, a lot of legacy cannabis companies, started this way. I think over time, the industry has learned to become more sophisticated and gravitated away from this approach. But historically, cannabis industry borrowed a lot of. Um, parody branding and things like that. And so, you know, starting with a clean brand, um, starting with clean IP, starting with um, IP that's been well assigned to the company and the company has domain over, and then enforcing your rights over time as other people infringe on them, whether you think they're um, using your strains or using your terpene flavor profiles or using your brand in an unlicensed way, right? And so it's, it's owning the IP up front and then it's maintaining control and ownership of it as you grow. Mm-hmm. Do you guys uh, provide any support on just a little bit more on the the business um, uh, the business model of certain sorts of organizations, or just you know helping them drive towards prof- profitability and just kind of covering some of those bases? Um, yes, I, if you're talking about like corporate structuring and how mm-hmm. to do it in a meaningful yep. way, there's all kinds of structures that we've helped pioneer and develop for companies really depending on their objectives. It starts to get a little bit tailored in terms of what the company wants to do and how it wants to monetize its assets, whether that's intellectual property or it's be efficient with its space and what its license is permitted to do in terms of running product lines for other other people. And every state is different in terms of what you can do with the license in terms of, um, you know, helping white label products or helping use, you know, use your equipment for the benefit of others and things like that, or who you can distribute for. Um, but yeah, we, we do advise on and help kind of come up with commercial arrangements that fit the business model of the company that we're working with. What sort of trends right now are you guys look, seeing right now, as far as the type of cannabis companies that are coming through, is there influx of a certain type coming through or is it kind of just run the gambit? I think that you're seeing a stratification in the market that we anticipated for a long time, but finally you're starting to really see it come together. And I'm really excited about, about the, the, um, the launch essential launch of the New York market on this point, Mm -hmm. because I think you're really starting to see kind of a thinning out in the middle and, and two kinds of companies rising to the top. You either have really boutique brands out there Mm -hmm. that are going for a certain audience and, and a certain kind of brand and and a certain, um, real feel to the company. And then you have finally like MSOs that feel like dominant companies in a certain region or in the United States that have multiple lines of brands. They have a budget brand, they have a connoisseur brand, they have kind of a national brand, they have like a local craft brand, right? And they're kind of running all of those verticals in in parallel. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of feels more like, you know, like a company like Hershey, right? It's got like kind of its standard Hershey bar. It might have some local delicacies that are specific to like a region where they only make that confection. And then it has like a higher end brand, and, you know, it really feels like a, a, a national corporation with a lot of different offerings. Um, I like the boutique brands. I think they're interesting and exciting. We work with a lot of big MSOs too, and they're, they're challenging to work with in their own way. Um, but each, each of those two types of companies, I think, has um, real presence now in the market, like starting to identify. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one more question. Uh, just regarding M&A, you know, is there uh, how, how much of an of a, um, influx there is on, on or M&As right now? 
Um, and where do you kind of see that kind of peaking or, or consolidation within the, within the industry? Yeah, actually, um, I had a chance to think about this really recently because I, I was interviewed for an article that um, Benzango published on this just a couple of weeks ago. So they're super focused on it also, right? The kind of the financial aspects of the market right now. Mm -hmm. M&A is super hot right now in the cannabis space and in general outside of the cannabis space. Anything in retail, consumer retail, I think is, is front and center in the M&A market. And so cannabis is a natural fit for that. Plus, I think that there's um, with the with the ele the election results in from November 2020 with COVID behind us, um, with key jurisdictions coming online, there's just a lot of wind in the sails um, where dominant MSOs have a lot of cash on their books and can raise significant amounts of capital. Right, like two years ago, uh, I was people were interested in on kind of what the future of cannabis was. And I was saying, you're going to start to see the first unicorns, billion dollar plus valuation companies. Those are out there now, which means that, you know, when you have a billion dollar plus valuation, you can raise money privately um, hundreds of millions of dollars without, without basically selling the company, right? You can sell 10% of the company at over a billion dollar valuation, not give up, you know, at that point, you're not giving up too much of the company and you're raising a hundred a hundred million dollars in cash, right? And with a hundred million dollars in cash, you can go out there and you can buy significant distressed assets because there's a lot of companies that haven't been able to turn the corner in the cannabis space right now. Right. And I so you're seeing very active acquisition. And then um, and then additionally, more states are having more licensed processes, and so you can grow organically and put that money into growing. Um, not necessarily by mergers and acquisitions, but by organic growth by applying for licenses, right? So big companies are getting bigger and they're keeping us very busy with M&A activity. Right, right. Well, Matthew, thanks so much for that insight. Um, you know, we'll bring you back in the, uh, the full panel discussion, all right? Excellent. Thank you. Thanks so much, Matthew. All right, David Kessler, Chief Science Officer of Agrify. David, thanks so much for being on. Uh, this this important discussion. Um, so tell us a little bit more about kind of you and and kind of your involvement with Agrify, especially on kind of on the innovation cusp. Um, you know the cultivation side of things and how you guys are progressing. Um, you know the growth of cannabis literally in the industry. Absolutely, Mario, and thank you for having me. Thank you to the other panelists, to Matteo and to uh, Fox Rothschild as well. Uh, it's wonderful working at Agrify. I mean, I really do have the opportunity to do something I'm incredibly passionate about and very diverse and different activities day to day. In terms of how we're impacting cannabis cultivation, we really tried to address what we saw lacking in the industry, which was as the cannabis industry evolves and matures, it's moving towards a CPG product form factor. More consistency is required. Consumers are expecting their products, their experiences to be the same. And as we increase the number of people that use cannabis as medicine, that level of consistency holds an even more and paramount uh, level of importance because as people use this for medicinal uh, benefit, it is really critical that they get the benefits that they are expecting. And so when we looked at the industry at Agrify, we were focused on being able to improve the consistency of the cannabis produced, the quality, and still doing so in a way that allowed commercial cultivators to scale, as well as niche cultivators to really maximize the genetic potential of their crop and make a name for themselves in that niche market. 
And so to that end, we developed a vertical cultivation technology that really changed the way people are growing. I mean, it's been very much the same single level uh, tables for you know, 30, 40, 50 years of indoor cultivation. And now as people start to explore the vertical elements of cultivation, mm-hmm. we wanted to address that, improve that process and really allow cultivators to maximize the potential of their facility and genetics as a whole. Mm-hmm. Well, vertical farming, I mean, that there's, there's other crops that obviously you can use for vertical farming. Where, where did you guys see that, that white space in, in that sense that you guys were thinking, okay, let's kind of jump into this sort of, I guess, niche within the, the farming world um, in order to improve, you know, a crop like, like cannabis? Absolutely. What we saw is as people wanted to produce more cannabis, there's always been more demand than supply. Uh, What we realized is the need for every square foot of a cultivation facility to be as productive as possible. And to that end, when you look at going vertical and the early instantiations of vertical farming or really just people growing on multiple tiers of, say, shelving or pallet racking, you had a couple of basic problems that you had to face. One is the stratification of air by temperature, Mm -hmm. uh, the creation of micro pocket or microclimate areas that really change the chemical chemotypic or phenotypic output of the flower. And then on top of that, how do you access that biomass that's growing vertically safely and efficiently and do so in a way that's scalable? Because yes, you can grow vertically, but if it takes you three times as long to access and work with the material, is it still profitable? So at that point, what we developed was a closed environmental growth chamber that integrates the second and third story levels into the framework and allow people to work from comfortable standing positions but controlling every aspect of the cultivation environment. And then each chamber being individual from one to another, allowing you to maximize the genetic potential of the strains inside each vertical farm unit individually. So you really get to do what's best for your strain uh, at that time, at that place, and not have to impact other varieties that you might be growing and would have a negative impact on. I, I really enjoyed the uh, the videos that you guys have an AgriFi Live, and obviously you're you're kind of doing the moderation, and you're kind of, uh, you know, talking about little different aspects of, of farming in general. So I, I love that, that those resources that you all have. You talk Thank about you. a little bit about the opportunities in cannabis genetics, right? So where where do you kind of see that? You know, where does AgriFi help to improve? You know, special cultivars that are out there and everything else, and how can like that micro uh, micro cannabis type of movement kind of move forward? Absolutely, I think that it's important to understand that when we talk about the uh, phenotypic or chemotypic expression of cannabis flowers, it's really a combination of two primary factors, nature and nurture. And so uh, while AgriFi has focused primarily on the nurture, on controlling the environment, reproducing the environment, collecting that data, When it comes to genetics, that's the entire section of nature, it's DNA. And so the DNA determines a spectrum of potential outcomes and the environment determines where on that spectrum you fall. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the opportunity in breeding, you know, I'm thrilled to announce that we have a recent partnership with Front Range Bioscience, a leader in bioinformatics in the cannabis space, Mm -hmm. because as breeding evolves, there's going to be some trends that I expect to see. So 
in the past, it has really been based on selective breeding. And because of the legal nature of the plant or illegal nature, it's been really hard to do at a large scale with good data collection, good record keeping. So it wasn't selective breeding done the way larger agronomic crops were. Uh, that is now going to evolve, <clears throat> excuse me, into marker assisted breeding, which is really where they're looking at specific traits that they're trying to find in the genetics, whether it's the production of a valuable chemical like THCV, or whether it's enhancing the overall flavor profile of a particular strain by picking key terpene profiles. Using marker-assisted breeding, we're going to be able to see faster releases of new genetics that require less allocations of space and time. Mm -hmm. And because cannabis is 100 years behind every other modern agronomic crop, we're essentially still living in a world of teosint instead of sweet corn, which uh, was the predecessor of corn and was, you know, four kernels on a two foot ear compared to the sweet corn we have now. So I do see uh, and expect huge gains on the genetics and breeding side, as well as you'll start to see people uh, increasing disease resistance, pest resistance, uh, and the ability to increase yield substantially, not based on the environment, but based on the DNA, the genetics themselves. Mm -hmm. I love that you guys have a lot of that data that you're collecting. Um, and I know you guys do it in AgriFi Insights. How are you guys, um, how's, how's it integrated within the hardware software approach and how has it been kind of designed to optimize, like if I'm a consumer or if I'm, you know, in my facility or um, how it's going to really impact the facility itself and kind of the workforce behind it? So, I mean, data is a very critical piece of the puzzle as we move forward as an industry and learning about what we're doing and how to improve our processes. So each vertical farm unit is collecting almost a million data points per chamber per year. And we can utilize that data for everything from training machine learning models using computer vision to monitor and validate the plant health or identify problems earlier. We're using production planning algorithms that allow our client operators to maximize the utility of their facility of every square foot of canopy by aligning the production times for each variety and then selecting which planting schedule makes the most sense to maximize the output annually or the production of a particular plant. But when it comes to increasing the use of technology, we're integrating everything from artificial intelligence that aggregates the data from the computer vision, the third party testing labs, even our own VFU environments and our customers harvest analytics. And this data allows clients to optimize the results for each unique genetic that they have in their stable and to help them continually improve their grow plans through an iterative process where we can look at their results, we can provide them tools to analyze the data sets and really allow them to make iterative and ongoing improvements. <clears throat> so David, we're gonna switch things up. We're gonna bring in Josh, but when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit more about kind of, I love that you brought up machine learning and, and kind of the other things that it's gonna take cannabis forward. So uh, let's switch gears here. Uh, Josh, let's bring you up on stage here. Thank you, David. Hey Josh, I'm how you losing doing your audio there, Mario. I don't know if it's me or you. Okay, I think can you. No, hear me Mario, now? I'm having trouble as well. Okay, hold on. Let me see. Um, is that better there? Yeah, you were just we kind of going in and out there for a second. Okay, great. Um, all right, seems like everything's working now. Josh, VP of Cultivation at Jushi, tell us a little bit more. I, again, I, I looked at some of the content that y'all have as well. 
Um, I loved hearing that kind of your your expansion approach and everything else. But tell us a little bit more background just on Jushi's approach on, you know, obviously the local farming ends of things, the facilities and kind of where you guys are pushing, you know, the, the Canatech forward in the industry. Yeah, great. Martin. I appreciate you having me on the panel today. And um, yeah, so Jushi's a, a rather young company, um, maybe just under three years in the market. And in that first year was really um, just a small handful of employees down in our bulk office, really sort of getting the bones of the company together. Um, I was brought on uh, with some of my other colleagues from the Clinic Colorado to the Jushi team um, in the spring of 2019. Um, and when we started, you know, honestly, there wasn't much of a, a cultivation uh, platform uh, within our company. Um, we've had a, a major change over the last two years where um, every time you talk to the CEO now, it's uh, canopy, 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 and how can we grow our, our cultivation facilities faster and, and bring product onto the market uh, faster. And so um, happy to be with a company that is uh, growing rapidly and a, a company that is committed to uh, spending money in a way to build out these facilities for the future, um, uh, high tech, um, uh, you know, using uh, best in class equipment um, and ultimately being able to provide to, to David's point, uh, clean, consistent product uh, on a daily and weekly basis. <clears throat> I, I like that you guys have uh, different facilities in, in obviously in, in multiple states. How have you guys been able to kind of recreate the same facility in those states? And basically, how were you able to kind of create that kind of out of, out of the box solution that you guys want to are striving to get and achieve? Well, I would say to this point, with uh, a lot of the M&A work that we've been doing, we haven't really, uh, ha we don't have that that go-to design uh, quite yet. I mean, really, we're operating in three very unique facilities across, uh, well, four now across four different states. Mm -hmm. uh, these are facilities, um, all but one of them were uh, facilities that were already operating when Jushi took over. And so we're really right now in the process of doing a lot of renovations to our facility, as well as working on some new expansion projects at a couple of our facilities. Um, thankfully, we partnered with uh, a great national and international architecture firm, and we're really spending the time on the design side to be able to create this design so that going forward with new expansion projects or new ground up builds, we will have this template to, to work off of. We will have this um, you know, this box that we can drop into any state and understand that um, our performance out of that building will be the same as it was, you know, in a building in a different state. I think it is a challenge, obviously, operating multiple facilities in, in multiple different states. And, um, you know, uh, hopefully with a national legalization, we can uh, sort of get out of that uh, pattern and be able to build, you know, uh, one or two great facilities across the country to supply all of our retail demands. Um, but right now we're, we're living within the regulations and, and doing our best to um, design and, and operate these facilities um, similar uh, from state to state. So design is obviously kind of the, the very important, obviously. Um, for, for those of us who don't know that much about vertical farming or or how this kind of works, What's how can you emphasize the importance of, of design? Like, how, can you give us a little bit of an example of, all right, we did this design, this didn't work because of this, and now we're, this is why we, we're doing this right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the facility that's behind me here in the picture is, is our facility in, in Virginia, and one is one of the first sort of vertical cultivations that I personally uh, helped to design. And right out of the box, I mean, day one of operations, there was already a laundry list of, of items that we wanted to change going forward with future designs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have 14 foot posts here. So I've got some pretty um, uh, tall levels between first and, and second tier. Um, that was something that 
um, you know, right away, we saw a challenge with getting people and plants up to something that, that second tier, uh, both safely and efficiently. Um, you know, I was a little bit greedy with my canopy space and, and trying to minimize that floating aisle uh, within our spaces. And, and right away, we understood that we were limited in the, the type of equipment that we could use within these rooms in order to get people and plants, you know, up and down to these rows. And so uh, very quickly, we were able to sort of pivot and start to work with our, our vendors, our equipment vendors, um, and our architects to sort of start to make these changes in here. And ultimately, again, we, we want to be greedy with Canopy, um, but by going vertical, we can you know, relax a little bit in terms of our, our floating aisle space to at least allow for the proper equipment to be used. And an example would be you know, when we're trellising sort of the, the upper level of, of plants, um, honestly, the most efficient way to do it is to have employees on either side of your, your mobile aisle. And with a, a too narrow of a floating aisle, you can't get the right size ladder on each side. And so you have to work one side and then move to the other. And so just small little adjustments there. Um, and then again, David made a point about um, stratification and, and microclimates within these spaces, um, really working with not only the engineers for the entire building and, and the rooms, but also um, some of our vendors like VAS, which is you know moving the air across the canopy and, and making sure that we're delivering the right amount of cooling and dehumidity humidification to these rooms, as well as the right amount of air movement within the rack in order to, uh, you know, negate any of that stratification. What, uh, so that I'm glad you brought up equipment. So what have been the biggest challenges equipment wise that did you guys have to custom make the equipment? Are there things out there that you can kind of plug and play at this point? Like, how have you been able to participate or even improve kind of that side of things? Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge. And again, I started working with uh, LED lights back in 2014 um, and very quickly got comfortable with using those and being able to uh, put out a high quality, high yielding product, you know, maybe not as high yielding as we were seeing under our single level, you know, mm -hmm. double ended HPS rooms, but but got got our, our legs under us rather quickly. And, and as soon as we did that, then the conversation about, you know, vertical cultivation came up. And, um, you know, my background is in greenhouse grown ornamentals and I was having a really hard time getting my head turned on to how, again, how am I getting people and plants up and down these levels? Um, you know, one, priority is safety and, and two, efficiently. Um, and so, you know, we're using sort of the tools that we have. We have a lot of uh, rolling scaffolding ladders. We're using scaffolding, uh, you know, within these rows. Um, luckily, uh, PIP Horticulture, who's our, our main supplier of racking, has just put out their Elevate platform, which uh, connects two of our carriages together and allows for one single run from the front of the room to the back of the room. And, you know, we've got rooms that are uh, 40 to 60 feet long. And so being able to connect those carriages together at least gets our employees up to that second level and allows them access to two full carriages for the length of the room, which has really improved our efficiency in terms of working on the crop and as well as harvesting. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with conveyor companies and, and trying to design some conveyor systems to be able to bring plants from the ground floor up to that second level, be it to the catwalk or some other device. Um, and again, these are a lot of these are still works in progress. But you know, I think uh, you know, Pip being one of the premier sort of carriage companies and mobile racking companies out there, um, they are absolutely working as hard as they can to help uh, the operators solve that that problem of uh, efficiency of moving plants and people, you know, up and down these levels. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks so much. We're going to bring uh, Socrates to the uh, to the panel here, and then we'll join everyone in the group discussion in a bit. Hey, Socrates, how are you today? Mario, I'm doing well, man. Thanks, thanks for having so much me on. For, 
Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Uh, you're the co-founder CEO of Jane Technologies. Um, I've come across your brand, your your whole organization a couple times, I Heart Jane. Uh, I love that you guys are in a lot of different um, advan tech advances spaces within the industry. So tell us a little bit about your about yourself initially, but also how you kind of um, you know kicked off Jane Technologies. Have you been able to uh, work in a few different verticals within the tech side of things? Yeah, um, and thanks again for having me on and joining these these wonderful panelists. Um, my pa my path into the industry. I um, growing up never consumed cannabis. I was uh, a student at uh, grad school back in my hometown of Boston. It's thirty years old. Just recently got out of the, the military. And long story short, cannabis um, really helped me out. It. Um, really helped with my well-being and my wellness. And as I started to talk to more and more veterans who were also um, healing with cannabis, I was inspired to get involved in the space. Um, at the time I had graduated grad school, I found myself in Silicon Valley in, in um, California, doing some consulting work uh, for large tech companies, pr primarily e-commerce providers. And what I noticed was that how everybody was shopping online for just about everything else in this world from a place to stay on Airbnb or a product that you would find on Amazon or really quite, quite frankly, anything you're purchasing online, consumers um, were, were granted the ability to have purchasing power. You know, if, if an example on Amazon is a great one, you know, as convenient as Amazon is, I can search for just about everything on that marketplace. I can search for a broad search term, a, a specific one. Um, I'll get a curated set of products. I'll be able to read verified reviews, hopefully verified. Um, Amazon was running into some issues, but I think they've cleaned that up from actual consumers who have purchased that product. Uh, I can get recommendations from data-driven algorithms of people who are just like me who also purchased those products. Um, I can sort by price. Um, I can sort by delivery time. Ultimately, I have full flexibility in, in what I want to purchase. And I think more so, um, I'm an informed consumer. I'm just not walking in blind, asking someone behind the counter, what should I choose? As, as wonderful as that might be, and there are some wonderful retail experts there, there are some people that prefer you know, the ultimate purchasing power that only a, a digital platform can really provide. And so um, when we founded the company about six years ago, we have held this hypothesis really since day one, and that is that the future of e-commerce will be in the complete digitization of all commerce. Can we take a dispensary whose products and 100% of inventory is quote unquote offline, sitting on a physical store shelf, can we, without burdening um, those retailers and their staff, can we take that inventory essentially put the right content to inform the consumer about that one individual SKU, and then take that SKU and power and push that SKU across all order origination points. And we define an order origination point as anywhere on the internet where a consumer can place an order for cannabis, whether that's you know at a marketplace like iheartjane.com. We now uh, have an integration with Leafly. Um, we take that merchandise and we power you know, the, the, the um, Jushi is a wonderful partner for us. So we'll take their wonderful merchandise and power their menus fully automated for their own dispensary websites. And then we're also inviting brands into the mix by allowing brands to have an automated e-commerce platform 
except unlike normal brands that can go direct to consumer, you're actually being able to purchase a, a brand's product all while staying on that brand's website. So really what we're trying to do, you know, we're not cultivators, we're not retailers. There's some wonderful people here doing some wonderful work. Um, where we fit in on, on the value chain is, can we be an enabler to these businesses through our uh, digital platform? Can we go and unlock more value for retailers, more value for brands, and ultimately the, the most value for the consumers without really burdening anybody with having to maintain manual menus or creating their own content? Can we automate that in a really efficient way? And then ultimately, you know, provide that purchasing power down to the consumer. So um, we've been now... Uh, we've launched the product in April of 2017, so going on year four. We're now in over 2,000 dispensaries across 35 state markets, about to head up into Canada, so really excited about that and uh, really excited for, for what the future holds for, for us and the industry. How do you guys stay competitive in the space? Because I, I know a, a lot of people are trying to kind of improve the, the overall experience, shopping experience for, for consumers and everything else. How do you guys stay competitive within that space, given that... You know, there's a lot of, you know, in the restaurant world where I come from, there's a lot of POS systems. There's a lot of other ways that you can help to make the data a little bit more efficient. But how are you guys really helping to, to push things forward? Really, um, the name of the game for us is, is to be as open in infrastructure as absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. um, and what we mean by that is, can we go and build an open infrastructure that can allow, you know, uh, and I'm, Josh, forgive me, I'm gonna, you're a great partner of ours. So, you know, Jushi opening up a store in Pennsylvania. They have certain needs there in Pennsylvania, but then Jushi opens up a store in Virginia. Due to the regulatory landscape, things are different there. Mm -hmm. Now, what we don't want to do is burden, you know, an MSO like, like Jushi with having to, you know, figure that out on their own. Can we create fully automated software that can go plug and play? So being an adaptable, flexible platform that can go and accommodate different tax structures. Uh, you know, deliveries allowed, deliveries not allowed. Uh, you know, we, we allow for demand smoothing, dynamic pricing. Essentially think of everything that a retailer would want in their store. Something as simple as offering a BOGO deal, a buy one, get one. Mm -hmm. Well, when you can't control the inventory and you don't necessarily know how much inventory is, is on the store shelf, things become a challenge. And so we, we've essentially, Mario, how, how we stay competitive is we listen to our partners. Mm -hmm. We listen to what the dispensaries want. Yeah. We listen to what the brands want and we go in and build it for them. And I think you know it, it, it uh, brings up a, a broader point where this is not the restaurant industry. This is not alcohol. This isn't groceries, this is cannabis. And yes, there are a ton of parallels. Uh, between the cannabis industry and other retail verticals. But there are a, a, a number of amount of nuances that, that go into this industry. And for us, we're committed to building so, uh, you know, a, a software solution from the bottoms up. Mm -hmm. And we, we can only do that in partnership with our retail retailers and our brands. And so that's how we stay competitive. We also you know, draw inspiration from Great companies like Olo and Shopify and uh, man, even Amazon. Um, but we don't take this template and try to force it into areas where it's it's not meant to be forced. We draw inspiration from them. We we put that in front of our retail partners and our and our brand partners, and then we create custom solutions that will be hopefully as flexible and adaptable to this ever changing regulatory landscape 
to fuel the future growth of companies like Jushi, um, to promote um, wonderful brands like Agrify. That's what we're trying to do. And we can only do that in partnership with the industry and, and not really make this you know, a closed loop system that's all about this one tech company. Can we be open and agnostic and, and uh, hopefully fuel everybody else's growth as well as our own? No, that, that's amazing. I mean, partnerships are always key, especially in, in this industry to make sure you know, everyone's kind of working in conjunction, but also getting the, the things that they need, especially with a platform like what that you all have. So, um, so let's bring everyone together. Um, there's a bunch of questions we need to jump into. I have a few questions coming in from the other feeds. Um, all right. So great. Thanks for all the intros and kind of the background. One thing that, that I always love to kind of really talk about is kind of, um, you know, Taking, taking a step back and, and seeing what you guys are excited about, what's happening on the innovation or Canada tech side, either within your your kind of your niche or like more larger scale. Is there anything out there, any products, any platforms or any things that you're like, wow, that's that's really amazing, um, you know, in, in, in or outside of cannabis? Um, anyone can kind of jump in and, and kind of uh, mention something there. I'd be happy to jump in, Mario. One of the things I think that's really most interesting right now is with the passage of the farm bill and restrictions easing on research, yeah. we're starting to see real university research, third-party peer-reviewed studies. And so over the last two or three months, there have been several studies on photobiology and lighting. Mm -hmm. And the new studies are showing that there is a linear increase in yield with light levels up to and over 1800 micromoles. So where I'm excited to focus on technology is on the lighting side of things, because as the lighting efficiency has continued to grow, as we've had third party uh, documentation of that efficiency and now states requiring certain thresholds uh, through the DLC, the Design Light Consortium to be met, we're going to start seeing the application of LED lighting technology in these very high light environments that can both maximize the cannabinoid profile of the plant, but also the yield. Mm -hmm. And that level of light was really unachievable in the past because of the heat load with HIDs. So with the shift in technology, with the shift in regulatory environments, this new research really supports and bolsters the adoption of LED lighting to improve overall results. And it flies right in the face of some of the earlier research that suggested that the thresholds for cannabis was sub 1000 micromoles. Having it shown upwards of 1800 really allows cultivators the opportunity to really push that envelope if they can control their environment. Because as you push that light level higher, all the other limiting factors must be pushed in kind or you'll end up with a plant that's deficient and it will not grow to its potential. So uh, the lighting, I think, is an exciting innovation within the industry. <clears throat> Anyone else on uh, any other technologies? I'll just jump in. I think, you know, I think there's a real uh, white space for, you know, different types of sensors and, and really a platform to handle all the different sensors that you would want in your uh, cultivation room, be it single level or, or, or vertical. Um, you're talking about soil moisture, uh, PAR, CO2, you know, there's a more and more, um, you know, LED lighting companies that are coming out with integrated cameras for uh, pest identification, disease identification, um, you know, really looking at a platform that can get 
you know, to David's point earlier, you know, millions of data points and, and be able to present it in a very easy to read dashboard for the operators to use will give the, the operator uh, that much more control and also the ability to make changes on a much more rapid uh, scale than what they currently are when they're going in there, you know, and kind of feeling how the room is, part, you know, is, is uh, performing. So really looking forward to, you know, working with some of these uh, newer platforms and uh, full on censoring of our, of our spaces. All right. What about you, Socrates or Matthew? Um, my, my stuff is, sounds a lot less cooler after, you know, what David and Josh are sharing, uh, but what the future of cultivation will look like is really exciting. Um, <clears throat> one of the trends that we're seeing globally, not just in the cannabis industry, is this concept of what's known as headless e-commerce, mm. right? If, if you, um, if we all agree with the hypothesis that the future of retail, particularly in, in the cannabis industry, is digital, meaning you know, one at, right now, one out of every two orders originates online um, here, which is exciting. Well, you know, um, there's a thought that uh, the showroom floor, the physical showroom floor, which is tied to a retailer's brand is now becoming more and more obsolete. And so now what does that mean? The, the online shopping experience when you're shopping on Jushi's website is extremely important and, and should be tied to the retailer's brand, for instance. And so this concept known as headless e-commerce is basically, um, and, and as it pertains to Jane in the cannabis industry, can Jane go and handle all the weird integrations? We know we have 150 third-party software integrations. Can we do some data cleansing? Can we do dynamic pricing, tax infrastructure, all the stuff that really the consumer doesn't really care about, to be honest with you, but then build the, the foundation in a way that will make the lives of the retailers very easy. Think about a Squarespace or Shopify-like experience for individual sellers. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to package up and provide to these large multi-state operators, these large multi-location retailers. And then ultimately package that up to the small mom and pop businesses just down the street to me here in, in Santa Cruz. That's what's really exciting. I think that's the future of retail and it's going to be, be, be born here in the cannabis industry, which is even more exciting. Right. Anything on the virtual side of things with anyone? Or too the early. closest I could get Mario would be that I think it was, uh, expedited by COVID, but with people shutting down their operations and at least minimizing through traffic, mm -hmm. the opportunity for virtual tours of facilities has increased. And for the cannabis per, uh, cultivators, it really has a de decided advantage, which is every time I take a person through a cannabis grow, they are the biggest risk to that grow. They are the biggest chance to bring in a pathogen or pest on their person accidentally. And because of that, if I can afford tours to be done virtually, to give people that real experience of being there mm -hmm. uh, without bringing unnecessary risk into my operation or into our clients' operations, I welcome that innovation with open arms. Uh, it's a real risk that, you know, as people love to come in and see the grows and see the flowers being produced and see all the new strains, uh, the only thing that we won't have is smell-o-vision, which uh, I don't know about uh, people on Josh's tours, but on my tours, uh, people love to smell the variety of different cannabis uh, aromas. And so uh, we'll figure that out down the road, but I do welcome virtual tours. Yeah. The AR VR uh, potential is is definitely there. Uh, Matthew, you were going to say something. Mm. 
Oh, I just, I don't have, uh, unfortunately, I have probably the least close to the plant job of anyone here, even, even Socrates. But I will say that from our perspective, kind of top down, um, just the aggressive appetite and the ability for larger, more institutional investors to come in and push money down into the industry. I think, you know, we are talking about innovative products. I'll talk about kind of innovative players in the market uh, and capital just raining down on, on, on winners and in, in the space and creating new winners too. Right. So um, I think that that's going to fuel, um, you know, technology company, you know, anything from, you know, SPACs, working with technology companies that, that, you know, that are peers of Jane's um, to institutional investors and, and large fortune 500 brands being able to put money to work uh, either directly or through SPVs and companies like Josh's, um, um, you know, will, will accelerate these opportunities. What about the, uh, the R and D, like how much, how much emphasis do you guys put on, on R and D with, on each of y'all's platforms and services? What, what are the things that, um, do you guys have each their own R and D team? How do you kind of structure that and kind of move your product forward on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, you know, to be honest, uh, I really don't have an R and D budget right now, which is, is quite a shame. You know, it's, uh, it's production, production, production. Although we are slowly getting the, the message across to the leadership of the company that, you know, we cannot uh, afford to remain stagnant in our cultivation techniques in our equipment, uh, selections and um, and we are starting to design in some R and D space as well as you know some breeding capabilities within our production facilities so that we can continue to move forward not only on the breeding and selection of, of genetics for our internal operations but as well so that we can continue to work on new equipment selections be it you know LED lighting uh, new vertical racking um, uh, to the sensors that I that I mentioned and so. Um, uh, unfortunately, in this production space, you know, not a lot of room for R&D, but we're working our way uh, with the CEO to get that, that space available to us. Amazing. The, um, uh, and uh, just, just kind of piling on to what Josh was saying, you know, it's in, what Josh and, and David do, you know, you, you grow product, they're looking at yield, they're looking at efficiencies. But ultimately, too, you, you want to know, does that product ultimately resonate with the consumer? right? In, in kind of simple terms, does it sell? Mm -hmm. And so what we're able to do in, the, in a digital world or, or help retailers and, and cultivators out is by giving them really kind of, I, I would argue, some of the most valuable information out there. We can tell them how SKUs are performing, um, how often someone comes back to purchase a SKU. Mm -hmm. When they purchase a SKU and they try, you know, products, uh, we're not at this point where we're, we're kind of parsing out terpenes, but eventually we could, you know, those that enjoy mercine or, or find products that are high in mercine also complement that with products that are high in limonene. And I'm showing my, my very limited uh, terpene knowledge by those only two that I know. But that, that point being is now in the, in the digital world, what David and Josh are doing are very difficult. They got to kind of not place bets for the future, but they, that's a, that's a tough spot to be. In the software space, we're, it's easy, relatively easy for us, right? We can go push out code, A-B test, iterate really quickly. Well, what we're thinking about is how do we allow brands and retailers to do that on their own? Hey, if I describe a, you know, not only knowledge of a, of a product through really actionable data, but now maybe I can change the way I describe this product, you know, and I use certain words in, in, to my A group versus my B group. Maybe I change the photo of the way this looks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, those are other types of things that we can help enable our, our brand and retail partners to test and iterate on. Cause that's ultimately, you know, the only way we're going to get to the truth. Mm-hmm. And Mario, if I can add to Josh's uh, statements as well, and thank you, Socrates, you know, we ascribe to the red queen theory as well, which is if you're not making forward progress, you're eventually going to die behind. So uh, look at blockbuster, you know, they had the uh, opportunity to, uh, by Netflix early on, I'm sure that they would have liked a crystal ball. So when we look at R&D at Agrify, we have two focuses. There's internal R&D to improve our own equipment, but then because we're not cultivators ourselves, we want to give our cultivation partners, our operators, the opportunity to do their own R&D, to have a continual improvement process. And so internally, we're focused on delivering the most cutting edge technology that will allow our operators to maximize their cultivation. But for our cultivators themselves, you know, we want to give them those data points. We want to give them a calculator that literally compares the recipes or the grow plans day by day, strain by strain, so they can look for anomalies or even have them pointed out to them so that they can figure out why one particular recipe produced the best results they'd seen, and then they can replicate that. And so it really is around a continual improvement process and giving operators as many levels, uh, levers and buttons and knobs. So temperature and vapor pressure deficit and light spectrum and CO2 levels and many, many others that really come together to allow you to create the recipe of cultivation and then to be able to repeat that recipe time and time again. So you have that consistency in your brand that Socrates and iHeartJane can then market and the consumers can then appreciate and have a consistent uh, experience every time. And then one, one last thing I wanna, before we actually do our closing remarks, um, let's talk about exit strategy. Um, I know, especially on, on the tech, end of things, there's always someone of extra strategy or, or end goal here. What would that be for each of y'all, even, even you, Matthew, as well, um, given, you know, you, you are definitely kind of helping to support a lot of these companies. Um, you know, I don't know who wants to start here, but um, we can, you know, anyone can just kind of jump in there. It used to be by Dogecoin, but <laughs> that's gone. Um, the ship sailed. Yeah. Um, Oh, you're talking about for, for businesses. Uh, um, yeah, I would say that um, there's still a massive opportunity from my perspective, from the outside, there's still a massive opportunity for, um, for exit by acquisition, but there's also an opportunity to just grow organically and to stay, to stay big if you, or stay small if you want to and have a meaningful business. I think that's one of the great things about um about the cannabis space right now is I think unlike a lot of quote unquote lifestyle businesses, this is a business where you could actually have a lifestyle, a lifestyle business by what, what I mean by that is um, a business that you operate that has a handful of employees that you maintain, you know, small, you know, you have a small company and it's a beautiful farm or it's one or two retail dispensaries or something like that. And you make a couple million dollars a year in revenue and everybody's happy and comfortable. And I think that, um, if you love what you do, then can then you can have a great lifestyle business, and cannabis can be that because it's something that people are really enthusiastic about, and it's tangible and it's fun, and it creates a lot of good social interaction. At the other end of the spectrum, I think that there are multi-billion-dollar opportunities in the space, and if you're in this to grow, you know, grow in a venture private equity-backed space, 
then now more than ever is the opportunity because it's not so well-defined. And so, um, and there are still licensed major jurisdictions that have licenses, pro license processes to be undertaken, you know, states that don't even have adult use yet where you can apply for a license and grow a billion dollar company really from a standstill. And once in a, you know, there's only one industry in any generation, it might've been the internet 20 years ago, and now it's cannabis where you can really do that. Um, and so grow a company, apply for a license and get started um, and get acquired. There's still a billion dollars start from a stop opportunity in cannabis. Who wants to jump in next? Um, you know, I'm going to give a really bad answer. We, we, we don't think about the exit, which is not what a CEO of a tech company is supposed to say. So hopefully none of my investors are listening, you know, for us. And I think a lot of folks in, in the business, uh, certainly that have been in for a while, you know, like Matthew was saying, it's still once in a lifetime opportunity to, to, you know, create wealth for yourself and, and your team. But ultimately, in my opinion, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to shape an industry that hasn't been shaped yet. And this isn't, uh, you know, we're not in the, the industry of paper clips here. You know, that's a great invention, but it's not changing people's lives. Cannabis is. It's a medicine for a lot of people. And so for us, you know, I think, you know, David takes that very seriously. I've talked to David in the past. I know what Yushi represents. Um, you know, we're in here, yes, to, be, to make successful businesses, but that's a byproduct of shaping an industry the right way. And not, um, you know, following some template that's been that's been carved out for us 30 years ago. We're, we're cannabis is unique, and this is the first digital first business. And uh, what are we going to do with that position globally? And so for us at Jane, you know, uh, we don't we don't really think about the exit. We're just on this journey. And for us, it's it's can we shape this industry the right way and invite as many people into this industry as absolutely possible, and ultimately provide as much access to this plant to as many people in the world as absolutely possible too. Thanks for that, Socrates. Whatever you, David. You know, uh, as a chief science officer, I'm not as focused on the exit strategy. What I would say is that it's exciting that our technology is applicable to both groups that were described earlier. The large multi-state operators that are looking for low cost cultivation, very high quality, but consistent product. And also for the smaller cultivators, the niche operators that are using unique aspects of their product, of their brand, to really highlight and differentiate themselves and grab market share. So the wide access of our technology and the applicability to different consumer groups, I think is fantastic. But when it comes to the exit, you know, I'm not sure we're focused on one. You know, cannabis has been demonized in the past. It's been exalted, sometimes characterized as a poison or a panacea. But right now, the, the view politically, culturally has been changing, is continuing to change. And with that support and the, you know, what is in my mind an inevitable federal legalization in the next several years, the opportunity isn't for us to exit, but it's to maximize and as Socrates says, shape the industry to become a more mature place that we're all happy and proud to work and be a part of. So uh, I look at this as a very, very good opportunity and one I'm privileged to be a part of and to have, and really just look forward to shaping this uh, nascent industry into a more mature marketplace as uh, time goes on. What about you, Jess? 
Yeah, finally, I think I'll probably just have to echo the team, which is, you know, I, I can't speak for Jushi. I don't think we're looking for an exit right now. I'm personally, you know, enamored with with the crop, the medicine, the product. Um, I see this industry being so young and so much room for growth, um, you know, really being able to learn uh, day in and day out. And, and we see ourselves at Jushi building a team of, of cannabis professionals, either long tenured or, or new to the industry that are passionate about the crop, passionate about the medicine um, and passionate about bringing and, and bringing this crop in medicine and, and, and product to more and more people across the world. So we're just really excited to continue to build the business um, and continue to provide great medicine uh, to the to the people of the U.S. Amazing. Well, thanks everyone for the time today. Um, thank you to all the panelists, uh, Matthew, David, Socrates, Josh, um, the team at Fox Rothschild and Manny Communications. Um, this is a great conversation, one that we don't get enough time to jump into just because like it's always changing. So I appreciate everything that you all do in the cannabis industry. Um, we'll be in touch. Um, and then you'll find everyone can find our highlights in uh, on our YouTube page in the next uh, couple days on our social media handles. Uh, please join us at bootlegavocado.com for upcoming events. And thanks everyone. Have a great afternoon. Have a great, uh, great rest of the week. Thanks everyone. Great. Thank you. Thanks Mario. Thanks everybody.